Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard <clears throat> in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story, that you've allowed us to walk over many weeks and months Lord, as we hear of their hearts aching and many tears being shed, as we hear, Lord, of a season that they're in that seems unrelenting and yet full of glory, we find our story there. And I praise you, God, that we can come today honestly and openly, that we don't need to hide from you because you already know, that we don't need to pretend to be okay because you already know, but that, Lord, even in knowing you love us right there, and you welcome us to the next phase, to the next step, to simply surrender. And there find that your hands are not only able, but kind and gentle. And that you have purpose for us, Lord. 
So speak in a way that each of us can hear your voice and be glorified today in this place. We pray in the only name that, that death bows to, Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So question, as is our habit, to get us started this morning. How many of you, by show of hands, at the end of your life want to say this? Oops. How many of us at the end of our life want to say, I, I, I really, I regret the way I lived my life. I'd like to have a do-over. Can I get a mulligan? I don't see any hands just for those of you who are on screen. Hopefully none of you that are at home were raising your hand either. Of course, none of us want to actually feel that way. But can I tell you? As someone who has the horrible and beautiful privilege of sitting down next to people at the end of their life all the time, I regularly hear this. And so, beloved, it matters that we live our lives in such a way that we finish well. There's a poem that I'm going to read to you right now, and I want you to just listen to the poem. It's been read at several funerals, even here at All Souls. It's called The Dash, and it captures this notion well. It says, I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted first came the date of birth and spoke the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between the years. For that dash represents all the time that they spent life on earth. And now only those who loved them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we will live in love and how we spend our dash so think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel, be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? Beloveds, in order for us to finish well, we need to live well. The point of that poem and the challenge for us this morning is simply that. What does it look like to live in such a way that the end of our life reveals what we want our lives to actually be? We don't get to go to the end and be like, I want to be different now. You've got to live now like you want to be then. What does that look like for you? 
This morning, as we continue in our sermon series through the book of Acts, that's the question we're going to be asking and letting the text for us this morning answer. If you remember last week, this was our theme. The only way to grow is to be willing to move beyond what is comfortable and take the risk of falling. How many of you went out this week and fell? Thank you. It is so hard to take the risk because falling hurts and it's scary. But our Jesus is the one who says, if you're going to grow, if you're going to come after me, if you're going to follow me, falling is part of the story. You have to take the risk to move beyond what is comfortable and what feels okay. Life won't let you stay there anyway. The issue is, are we going to, by faith, take that step? For those of you who did and who raised your hands, and those of you who did and did not raise your hands, may the Lord meet you this week with his tender grace and give you wisdom beyond yourselves. May he comfort you where you're hurting. May he give you vision of what he's doing, the bigger picture that we all need to see, friends. This week, our theme is a little different. Finishing well requires living well, but if you see it, it's connected to last week. All of this has been building. God doesn't tell a story randomly. All of these are building blocks on the life he wants us to be living. In order to finish well, we need to live well. Three points. Keep the main thing the main thing. Let the truth toss you and let your love be sincere. So first, Keep the main thing the main thing. Realize a little context here that Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He wants to try to get down there for the Feast of Pentecost. He wants to be with his people. And so he's rushing down there so he doesn't stop. He's he's sailing here, right? He doesn't stop in Ephesus, but he stops south of Ephesus in Miletus. And there he calls to the elders at Ephesus and says, come to me. Why? Because he doesn't want to get stuck in Ephesus too long. But he's not going to dare pass them by without seeing his beloved. Remember, he spent three years in Ephesus raising up this church, training up these elders. And he loves them. And they love him. And he knows he's never going to see them again. And so he's not about to pass by without seeing them again. But not just telling them this. It's not the only point of why he's stopping He also wants to set them up to thrive, to keep going when he's not there. And so that's what we see in the text. He says, Paul comes to him and he says, I want you to remember how I lived amongst you. I'm the example for you to follow. And he says two things that should really stand out to us that oftentimes in our culture don't seem to go together. Humility and boldness. Paul says, I was humble with you the entire time. I understood the wrestling of faith that you were experiencing because I've experienced it. In other words, put it this way. Paul remembered where he came from. He didn't act towards them as if he'd always been there. Paul murdered Christians and imprisoned them because he thought he was right. He was zealous for the law. He remembered where he came from. It kept him humble. In fact, at the end of his life, he writes to Timothy in Ephesus, here's a trustworthy saying that's worth full acceptance. Christ Jesus died for sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul remembered where he came from. 
But because he remembered where he came from, it also gave him a zeal, a fire, a boldness to not stop sharing even in the face of, of opposition and oppression. Because he knew that other way led only one place. And that is to death. Death that his own hands brought sometimes to people. But death eternally. He wanted and he risked everything for the world to know the Jesus that he met on the road to Damascus. And when you've had your own Damascus Road experience, when you've interacted with the Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago, who died 2,000 years ago, but who raised himself from the grave 2,000 years ago and is alive today, when you have an interaction with that Jesus, you will stop at nothing from sharing him with anyone and everyone who will listen. It is ridiculous to think about a dude dying 2,000 years ago and being alive today. Can I say that out loud? So for anyone in here or online that's hearing these words and is struggling because you want to believe in a Jesus that doesn't exist. What do I mean by that? You want to believe in a Jesus who is just a good moral teacher and not the eternal son of God. You want to believe in a Jesus who taught really cool things but didn't do miracles and didn't rise from the grave. Please realize you believe in a Jesus who did not exist. That's not the Jesus of the scriptures. That's not who Jesus said he was. It's not who Jesus demonstrated he was. And that Jesus offers no more hope than anyone in this room can offer you. I can't die for your sins. I can't set you free. I can't change you from the inside out. But the one who made you and who formed you in the palm of his hands and who sustains every breath of your life is the one who can do all of those things. When you meet him, please hear me in case you missed it the first time. I'm not talking about intellectually understanding the idea of a God named Jesus. I'm talking about meeting him in the same way that I met Marvin, in the same way that I met Kristen, in the same way that we've met everyone in this room, personally, truly, physically, in front of you, knowing that Jesus. When you meet Jesus, everything changes. And you will stop at nothing from sharing about him with everyone in your life. It will keep you humble, but it will also keep you bold. Where, friends, is God calling you to humble boldness, to bold humility? Where today is that true for you? Here's the key that Paul gives us, that every one of us in this room needs to hear. The key to actually keeping the main thing the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. You could write that down. What is the main thing? It's serving the Lord. It's not actually serving people, right? If we serve one another, then we are actually enslaved to one another's opinions. If that's what's primary in our hearts, then I need you to affirm that I'm okay and that I'm good. But if I'm serving the Lord, if that's primary, I can out of that place, yes, serve you. But I'm not serving you for your sake first. I'm serving you for his sake. And as I serve for his sake, I need nothing from you because I've already received everything from him. Now think about it for just a second. How many times in your life have you served someone and they didn't show appreciation and you got mad? You took offense. I, can't, I, I just did this awesome thing. They didn't even thank me. Well, can I challenge you that right there, you are serving the wrong person. Serving Jesus sets you free to love no matter what. 
to give no matter if they're able to give back or even receive it well because you're not serving primarily for that purpose. Deuteronomy 5 and 6, we've talked about this several times in the last couple weeks, and I'm going to keep putting it in front of you because we need to live this way. We need to get this. Deuteronomy 5 is the Ten Commandments, right? You should have no other God before me. God says it from the beginning. It's number one. It's the, the, the biggest commandment, right? But then in Deuteronomy 6, he spells it out because I think oftentimes we think, well, you know, that's true. You can live this way, Pastor Will, because you're a pastor and you do church stuff and, and you work one day a week for two hours on a Sunday morning, right? And so it's really easy for you to do that. That was from my father-in-law who I, re- I got him good last week, didn't I? Yeah. So there you go, Dad. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6 says this. Here's what this looks like to keep the Lord first. When you get up in the morning, I want you to talk to to your kids, to your friends, to your community about me. When you're making breakfast, I want you to be talking about me and about the relationship we have. When, when you're walking out the door to get to your car, I want you to be talking about me. I want your heart to be focused there. When you're driving to work, are you, are you, are you following what's going on here? He basically says throughout your entire day, I want you to learn to practice the presence of God. I don't want it to be a thing where you're just talking about ideas. I want you to be talking to me. I want you to be interacting with me, and I want you to be welcoming everyone you love into that circle because there is where we actually change. There is where we're actually made whole. That's the main thing, friends. The main thing is the love of God in our lives that translates into a zeal to want to serve him no matter what. These very Ephesians... This Ephesian church is called out by the Apostle John years down the road in Revelation chapter 2 because you know what they failed to do? Keep the main thing the main thing. He, said to the, he wrote, wrote to the church, to the churches in Asia in that first two chapters, three chapters of Revelation. He says, to the church in Ephesus, you've done amazing things. You've resisted when those have tried to come into the church and teach you wrong doctrine. But I have one thing against you. One thing, you've lost your first love. Do you hear it? It's not, you should be more obedient because that's what we do in religion. This is not about religion. It's never been about religion. This is about relationship with a living God whose love transforms every aspect of your whole being. When you know that God, when you give yourself wholly to that God, man, Everything changes. You're hearing the theme here, friends. We see our second point is simply this. Let the truth toss you. If we keep the main thing the main thing, you need to know that the truth about Jesus and his world is going to turn your world upside down. It is going to toss you. Because we live in a world that is wrong side up. And so in every way, Jesus is going to come in and challenge what we think is right and good. And we've been looking at this for weeks now in Acts 18 and 19, comparing the different worldviews that were at play there, the patriarchal worldview and the pagan worldview, where Artemis, remember the cult of Artemis, where they said of Artemis, this Greek goddess, Artemis is Lord and Savior. We've heard that language before, haven't we? Jesus comes on the scene and says, no, only Jesus can be Lord and Savior, not Artemis. There is one Lord and Savior, and you cannot have multiple. We've said this multiple times here. When you tell a half-truth, you tell a whole 
lie. And so if you have Jesus as one of your lords and saviors, but he's surrounded by other optional lords and saviors in case you need to pull one out of your back pocket because you need something special that day, guess who you're not actually ever worshiping? Jesus, the real one, the only Lord and Savior. And so it's easy for us to look at the Greek pantheon and be like, well, of course I don't worship any of that stuff, right? Of course I don't, you know give my heart to things that aren't Jesus, like money or power or popularity at school or academic success or marital status. Of course, I don't give my heart to any of those things, do I? Should I keep going? Right? Like we, we all struggle, even though there are different names to it, and there are different emphases today, we all struggle with this. What God wants us to see and know is only as we live with Jesus as Lord and Savior are we going to be set free. Are we going to taste and see what it means to be actual human beings? Remember, one of the things we, we, we pulled out of that text too is when, when Paul goes in there and he says, listen, you've heard of the baptism of John? You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was saying to the church back then the same thing that the church today needs to hear. Yes, it is all about Jesus. But Jesus is the one who says, it's better that I go to heaven so that I can send you the Holy Spirit so you can do the things that I've done and even greater things than those. So we must be baptized by the Holy Spirit. We must We must learn to walk in the Spirit because if you walk according to the Spirit, you will live. But if you walk according to the flesh, what does Paul say? You will die. I don't know about you, friends, but when I get caught up in a cycle of striving, trying really hard based on my own strength and my own expertise or my own wisdom, I die. It's exhausting. It's exhausting, and it robs you of hope. What Jesus wants us to learn to do is in those places of desperation to come to the only one who can actually heal us from the inside out, to come to the only one who can actually set us free from the powers of darkness, to come to the only one who knows what tomorrow is going to bring, let alone 10 years from now. You can be the best planner in the world, You got nothing on Jesus. He wants us to give him our whole hearts so that as we walk in the spirit, we'll begin to see what he sees. We call that prophecy. We'll begin to speak what he speaks. We call that tongues. We'll begin to do what he does. We call that preaching and healing and deliverance. But we'll also begin to see the the, the reparation, the repairing of this broken world in a way that Jesus calls my kingdom coming and my will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Part of the way we see that even in our church situation is as we think about this notion of how we've even treated women in our world. Paganism versus patriarchy. Patriarchy is the oppression of women. Paganism is the oppression of men as an answer to the oppression of women. You do not overcome evil with evil. You overcome evil with good, good. And so the principle throughout scriptures is a principle of equality. It does not say men and women are the same. That's what our culture wants to say today. We are very different and yet very equal at the same time. And let me just say this again. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again to our sisters here. The culture is after you. 
after you to think that somehow you getting strong and big and, and, and going out of your way to, to oppress those around you is going to be the answer. That is a trap. And one of the ways you know it's a trap is because the, that very culture is the one that's challenging you to say no to the strongest thing you can possibly do on the face of the planet, which is have babies. Adam, by himself, was not good because God said to the humans, I want you to be like me. I want you to create. As a woman, you come together with your husband and there's a human being that grows inside of you. And as it grows inside of you, it's healthy and strong and whole. And then when you give birth, you can feed the baby with your own body. That is miraculous. That is so strong and powerful and beautiful and wonderful. And yet our culture is the one that's saying right now, and when I say culture, I mean Molech. I will call him by name and will bind him by name in Jesus' name. We do not follow Molech. We follow Jesus. In this place, we follow Jesus. Jesus is the one who's the God of life and life to the fullest. Molech and all of his minions want to rob us of life and teach us to sacrifice our children on the altar of our own pleasure and success. And today, again, we say no in Jesus' name. No, not here, not ever, friends. Jesus is the one who steps into our culture and turns it upside down. And if you're not ready for that as a human being, you're not ready to follow Jesus. So often we want to say yes over here, but not over there. Let the truth toss you. And we see this play out through Paul's letter to the very church that he's now interacting with their elders, Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, he talks about the one thing that for you teens and for everyone in this room, Again, our culture is going after. It's the thing that Satan himself challenged Adam and Eve on and then challenged Jesus on. Who are you? What's your identity? We are taught in our culture that we need to go find our identity. We need to go make something of ourselves. And again, I bind that lie in Jesus' name. The truth, friends, is you are given your identity by the maker of your soul. Your Father in heaven who loves you is the one who gives you the foundation to stand upon, and everything else stands upon that foundation. If you step off of that foundation, you will be in a torrent. You will be in a flood, flipping upside down all over the place. You will get hurt. You will come out the other side, and you'll be looking for that foundation again. Can I give you some encouragement? Stand your feet on the rock and do not move them. There is a place where truth is found, where identity is established, and his name is Jesus. Build your house on that rock, and no matter what storm comes, you will stand. To every female in here, you are a daughter of the king. You are a daughter of the king, and he loves you. Nothing else will do. Nothing else comes close to every male in here. You are a son of the living God.
No other identity will do. Let's build our lives there, friends. In case you missed it, that makes us all brothers and sisters, family of the one true God. There's no better place to be. There's no better place to be. <laughs> Ephesians 2, he continues to unpack this upside-down kingdom. What does he say? I want you to know it's by grace alone. This is not about how good you can be. This is not about how much you can clean up your life. This is about God who comes to you when you're at your worst, when you're walking in sin and death, and he saves you right there. You have a part to play. You must choose to believe. And as you choose to believe and walk in that new faith, notice what Paul says in our, in our passage for this morning. He uses this crazy line. He says, I am innocent of your blood. What is he getting at? He's saying we have responsibility, friends. What's that Spider-Man line? Say it again. With great power comes great responsibility, right? We are all spider people in this room when we come to know Jesus, right? He gives us great power, and then he calls us to go out and share that. And to the degree that we do, mountains will move and kingdoms will crumble. But to the degree that we don't, here's what's going to happen in our hearts. We're not going to lose our salvation. We're going to lose our joy and our hope. And our purpose. Because you might be called to be a plumber or a lawyer. Who, who did that? <laughs> Jesus loves lawyers, Kev. Or a doctor. Or whatever God's calling you to be. It doesn't matter. That's not what you are first. That's your occupation. You've always been more than your occupation. God's calling you as a son and a daughter in everything you do to live like a son or a daughter, and there find that that really boring, annoying job you had that you don't like going to because what good is it anyway and it's not really fulfilling my purpose, you've misunderstood who you are. When you go to the hospital because you're the one who needs care, please don't miss what I'm about to say. God is sending a missionary to the emergency room, namely you. When you go to work, he's sending a missionary to your job, namely you. When you go to school and you're like, I hate school, I hate the people there, it's so unfriendly, it's so unkind, guess why you're there? God is sending a missionary to that school, and it's you. But he's not calling you to do it on your own. He's calling you to be baptized with the power of heaven himself so that you can go in there with heaven on your side. If he is for you, who can be against you? Have we forgotten who we are? It's by grace alone, but it comes with responsibility. I love this passage in Romans chapter 10 when he says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What's the word there for word? Logos or rhema? Rhema. Logos means written word. Rhema means spoken word. Spoken word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the spoken word of God. So how can they hear unless someone is sent to tell them? How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Take a look at your feet real quick. Just look down at them. Go ahead. Have you ever noticed how beautiful they are? Some of you in this room have thought you have ugly feet. 
never again. Because your feet bring good news. And they're beautiful according to our King. Ephesians 4 says the only way we do this is together. Keep the unity of the Spirit. I love how it starts off. It doesn't say make the unity of the Spirit. Become unified. He says when you are the body of Christ, you are unified. So live like it. Live like it. Use the spiritual gifts he's given so that together as we speak the truth and love, we might grow up into Christ who is our head. And so for those of you who've been listening and wondering, how am I supposed to do this? One of the key words you need to remember is together. The only way is through, and the only way through is together. Together. Ephesians 5, be imitators of Christ. Notice he says the same thing to them again. He says in our passage, in Acts, imitate me. But here he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Be imitators of Christ. Live in the family like Christ lives in his family. Live in the workplace like Christ lives in his workplace. Set the example of generosity. Paul says, I didn't charge you anything. I could have forced you to pay for me as a pastor, as a missionary. But I, I was a tent maker so that I could pay my own way. He was the example of generosity. Right? So which is why we talk about every week, how does God want us to be generous? Because our God is generous. How do we know? He who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him. How will he not with him give us all things? Our gracious God gave up everything. He calls us to follow after him. What does that look like? To imitate Christ. What about Ephesians chapter 6? We think going into this world... That our primary issues are how am I going to get food, where am I going to work, who's going to love me, what does shelter look like, and all those are important. But can I tell you, the most important thing is your relationship with the Lord. And so the one thing that you need to worry about that we, that we oftentimes put behind us more than all the other things we talked about is where are you being attacked into thinking that God is not who he is? Where is the enemy coming after you, using the circumstances of your life to say this, God's not good, you can't trust him. He doesn't really love you. He might love other people, but not you. Can I declare today again freshly in Jesus' name that that is a lie and we will not believe it here anymore. We see you, Satan. We tell you to go. Because here's the reality. In this place, in the family of God, you are loved. You are chosen. You are seen all the way down to the bottom. There's nothing he doesn't see. But here's the, t the twist that the enemy puts on it. He'll take those moments of shame and pain in your life and he'll make you think that his words are God's words. So when he shames you, how could you do that? You're disgusting. Why'd you make that mistake? You're such a loser. When you hear those words and you're tempted to think that that's your father, can I encourage you to realize our God never motivates with shame. He will never shame you. And so if you hear those words, that's not him. That's the one who's trying to be God. And so you need to face that liar, call him out, and tell him to go back to hell from whence he came. In Jesus' name. That is not our Father. He has a better vision for you. The Holy Spirit will absolutely convict us of sin. Because he wants us to be set free from it. Satan will shame us in our sin. So we stay bound to it. Let's live life differently, friends. Let's let the truth toss us upside down because the enemy comes after us, not just in spirit, 
but in flesh. The wolves are coming. Did you notice that warning? The wolves are coming. He says that to, to Timothy here, or to the Ephesian elders here in Acts, and then he says it again to Timothy, who's also in Ephesus. Beware, 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 beware. The wolves are coming. Those who want to take my truth and twist it just a little, who are just like their father, the liar, Satan. Be aware. There's a battle that we are fighting. So what we need to do, friends, at the end of the day is simply this. Let the truth of God flip us upside down. We call them presuppositions. We all come with them. These preconceived notions about the way the world should work. Please realize that that's not coming in a vacuum. You've been shaped that way through your experiences. How about even bringing your lenses to God and saying, God, I choose to lay down the lenses that I use to look at life, to let you redefine the way I'm supposed to look at it. Let the truth flip you upside down. Let it toss you, friends. Third point, final point. Let your love be sincere. In case you didn't notice, throughout the passage that Christian read to us, you keep getting this one line that Paul met with them, spoke with them with tears. With tears. He wasn't afraid to enter into their pain. He wasn't afraid to enter into their sorrow. He wasn't afraid to enter into the, the issues that they had, but he truly opened up his heart to them. This is hard for us, friends, when we're too stretched. When we live our lives in such a way that we're constantly running after all the things we think we need in front of us that are going to make our lives or our kids' lives or our family's lives better, and we're so stretched we have zero margin, then all of a sudden, guess what we don't have? Time to enter in. But you know what the most important thing we do for one another when we're hurting is enter in. Through prayer and in person, enter in. The power of presence there. Paul was doing that. He stayed with them for three years. Where's God calling you to slow down on the less important parts of your life so that you can be available for the more important parts of forever? Do you remember what you get to bring to heaven? It's not your car. It's not your job. It's not your retirement. It's the people, the people sitting all around you right now, the people in your family, you who are online, who think we're not praying for you, and we are. We love you. God sees you. He wants you to know that today. The people are the only ones that we get to bring. Where is God challenging us to make time to enter in to actually feel what they feel. When God calls us to enter in with his people, here's what he's calling us to do, friends. He's saying there is something there that he wants us to actually be a part of. He wants us to make the space to actually enter in so that as we're, we're, we're bearing with one another's burdens, guess what happens? A life well-lived like that ends well. It ends well. In case you missed in our passage for this morning, it says that they had gathered all around them. Hey, there we go. So Ephesians chapter 3 is the passage that we skipped over. For those of you who are following closely, you're like, we did Ephesians 1, we did Ephesians 2, then we did Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5, and what about Ephesians 3? Well, here's what Ephesians 3 is all about. 
It's about Paul entering into that call to pray, to bear with. He says, for this reason, I bow before the Father of heaven. I cry out to him day and night. I'm aching for you. I'm asking for him to give you the strength that might grow your heart, that as your heart grows, you might know more of the height and breadth and width and depth that is the love of God in Christ Jesus so that you can know what goes beyond knowing. It goes beyond knowing. It goes beyond our brains because our hearts have to expand to know more of God like that. That's where Paul went to bat for them. And that's where God's calling us to go to bat for one another. Remember, prayer is the primary work of God's people. This is what we're called to do more than anything else. So if you're wondering, how am I supposed to enter in? I'm not even sure. Should I call? Should I text? Should I? First of all, what did we say last week? Take the risk. Take the risk of failing. If God has someone in front of you, even right now, he's put someone on your heart that he's, he's wanting you to lean in with, take the risk. But please know, the risk starts here, on your knees, crying out for them. Make the time to actually do that as Paul sets the example for us in so doing. Loving well to the end, this is what we were talking about before. As Paul as makes the time to then, as he's, remember, going down to Jerusalem, he stops at Miletus, and he calls the elders there. How does it end? Well, it ends exactly the way that it had always been. Do you see that? Paul loved them well the whole time. And it doesn't mean he didn't grow and they didn't grow. Don't hear that. It wasn't static. It simply said he lived a faithful life an obedient life, loving them. And so that at the end, here's what it looked like. They gathered around him and they cried and they prayed and they gave thanks for the life that they shared and they asked God for a different ending for him. And then they sent him on his way. And I cannot help when I read this text but to think of our beloved George. Our beloved George, when we had three weeks with him in the ICU, a man who lived his life so well, so fully, so thoroughly, that the entire village, let alone the county, shows up for this man's funeral because he loved so well. Just hearing stories of vets who were crying their eyes out because they heard that Dr. George died and he was their they were his vet. And they only saw him once a year. But he made such an impact on them because he prayed for them. He loved them. He entered into their story. He saw them. He followed the example of Paul as Paul's following the example of Christ. So that at the end of his life, you hear his daughters singing the same song. We are so blessed to have had a dad like you. Who else gets to have a dad like George? To be loved so well, so thoroughly, so fully. You heard a bride. I took Joan in when it seemed like things were going to not go the right direction. And I wanted to make sure that she and George had peace in their relationship. So I took her back to the ICU. And I had a pastor moment with them. I said, guys, now is the time 
You need to get anything out that needs to come out. And listen, I'm going to do the same thing with every one of you when it's your time. Now is the time. Don't waste it. And they both smiled at each other. And then Joan looked at me and said, Will, there is absolutely nothing that we have to get out on the table because this is just the way we've lived. We love each other. We adore each other. And I'm the one crying in the room. <laughs> How do you spend your dash? How are you investing now? So that at the end, when people gather around, there's deep sorrow and lots of tears, but incredible joy because of the privilege of having shared life with you. How are you spending your dash? Because, beloveds, this is what our Jesus did. Always around the table, right? This is what he looked like in the upper room. Jesus, that is. <laughs> right? When he's gathered with his disciples and he's literally telling them, I'm about to die and they don't get it. He's taking bread and saying, this is my body, which is about to be broken for you, and they don't get it. He takes wine and says, this is my blood, which is about to be spilled for you, and they don't get it. And then he says, come with me before we finish the Passover meal out to the Garden of Gethsemane, where I've been teaching you for three years this place that is literally called the Olive Press, where I'm about to be pressed so hard with hell poured out on me that I will sweat drops of blood. I just want you to stay awake with me for a couple of hours, and they don't get it, and they fall asleep. And what does Jesus do? He weeps for them. He cries out for them. He's on his knees. For this reason, do you hear Paul's words? I bow before the Father of heaven to cry out for you, that your hearts might expand that you might know the height and the breadth and the width and the depth that is the love of God in me. Father, let it happen. I want their hearts and I'm willing to put everything on the line. That's the heart of Jesus for you. If you've heard any other story about Jesus, about how he excludes people and how he's not loving to people, you've misunderstood who Jesus is. Jesus is not going to allow anyone else to stand with him in his place because there's no one who's done what he's done. There's no one who is who he is. But the offer is for everyone. It doesn't matter how you grew up. It doesn't matter what you believe. The offer is for everyone. Come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's our Jesus, friends. That's our Jesus. He went to war for them, and he goes to war for us. And the question, friends, is what's the difference? What difference does Jesus make when he goes to war? Versus when we go to war. One very simple one. This is a picture of my mother coming out of the garden tomb in Israel. The very place that Mary went running on Easter Sunday and was met by two angels who said, He's not here, He's risen. And Mary's wandering around the garden, weeping. Weeping because where have they taken my Lord? What's happened? I don't get it. Can I just point out the obvious here? 
the very eyewitnesses, the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection believed the very thing, struggled with the very thing that we struggle with. Is resurrection even possible? It wasn't even on their radar. Jesus told them it was going to happen. Then she speaks to angels, and she's still struggling to believe in the resurrection. Your story is in the Bible. The question is, are you going to listen to the other half of it? Because as Mary is walking around the garden crying, she interacts with someone that she thinks is the gardener. Now, don't miss the irony here. Because remember how Jesus, I mean, how God and Jesus created everything to be from the beginning? It was called the Garden of Eden, remember? Where God and man dwelt together in uninterrupted fellowship. Do you know the story that is is painted at the end in Revelation? The new Jerusalem, this new city, is depicted as a garden. So you go from garden to garden. And how do we get there? Through a garden. Gethsemane. Through the garden of suffering. Through the garden tomb of resurrection. And so when Mary's crying, and Jesus goes up to her, and all he needs to do is say her name, Mary. And she looks because she recognizes him finally. And she says, Rabboni, Rabbi. And the result is joy. Tears wiped away. Death overcome. She saw with her own eyes, felt with her own arms, embraced the living Christ, saw him after death, and then ran to the disciples to tell them what she had just experienced. And no one and nothing was going to stop her. Friends, this is the twist. This is the reality. This is the truth that is worth sharing from every mountaintop. That when you live your life in a way that's worth living, when you spend your dash well in Christ, you don't end well because you never end. The dash never finds the other side. You only ever live. Which is why this happy birthday gathering for this guy And this guy, when we look at it with sadness because George is not with us right now, we also declare the truth of our joy that George has never been more alive than he is right now. A life well lived in Christ is a life that never ends. Who are the ones who've gone before you in Christ? that you miss, that you get punched in the stomach sometimes because you miss him so much. And you're like, man, I want to see him again. Who are those people that you just miss? It aches, it aches. Please hear me when I say to you, the day is coming, friends. Because Jesus rose from the grave, the day is coming when you will see them again. And more than that, when you will only ever rejoice together. This is the hope of the gospel, friends. It's why it matters that we keep the main thing, the main thing. 
It's why we let the truth turn our lives upside down when it necessarily has to. And it's why we take the risk to let our love be sincere now, to live in such a way that the world gets to see and taste and feel and know the love of our Father through the fellowship of the commun and communion of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. Beloved, where is God calling you to live your life differently now? Where is he calling you to believe differently now? Don't let another day go by. Don't let another minute go by. Let me pray for us. Jesus, this morning, we are gathered in this place with great Lord, joy and sorrow. When you turn the world upside down, right side up, we have to feel these things that don't seem to go together, like humility and boldness. But you welcome us in by faith to experience a different kind of world. And Lord, we say yes this morning. We want that world. We need that world, Lord. And so we're asking that you would meet us, God, in the places where we're afraid, in the places where we're, Lord, scared, hurt, in the places where we're bitter and don't want to, in the places where we're hopeless and feel like you, not even you can. Lord, in all of these places, would you meet us right now? Would you fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, and there see the loving face of the one who gave up everything for us? And as we look at the main thing, Jesus, at you, We freshly give you permission, we invite you to come turn our lives and our hearts right side up, to have your way in us and through us, to show us even now the people, Lord, in our lives that we need to actually love sincerely, to enter into pain with, to enter into sorrow with, to enter into joy with so that as we follow the example of Paul and the example of Jesus, we would see your kingdom come and your will be done in us and through us as it is in heaven. Jesus, be glorified today in this place. Be glorified in your name.